Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' famous topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. The Kingdom of God should be the master word in theology, says a leading Bible dictionary. The Kingdom of God, we may say, is the term in which the Christian faith is concentrated. Jesus came preaching about the Kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. In Luke 4, verse 43, he stated that the whole purpose of his mission was to proclaim the kingdom of God. He then instructed others to follow him, that's to say, to believe in his message of the kingdom, and then to relay it to others with all urgency and diligence. In Luke 9:60, a young man was told to go and preach the kingdom of God everywhere. In Acts 8.12, it was only when they believed Philip as he preached the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ that they were ready to be baptized, that's to say, immersed in water and inducted into the body of Christ, the Christian church. In Acts 28 and verse 23, we find Paul preaching the kingdom of God from dawn till dusk, and when his Jewish compatriots refused to listen to the message of the kingdom, and the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah, Paul then said, I'll take this salvation, this same salvation, and I'll preach it to the Gentiles. And the very last thing we find Paul doing in the book of Acts is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ unhindered for two whole years there in Rome. It really cannot be doubted that the Christian faith is based on the gospel about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 24 and verse 14, Jesus said, Before the end of the age comes, that's to say, before the establishment of the kingdom of God at the return of Jesus Christ to rule in power and glory, before that stupendous event can happen, this gospel concerning the kingdom of God must be preached as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24 verse 14. Those are the very words of Jesus himself. He announced that the gospel, that's to say the gospel about the kingdom, must be made known to all the nations as a warning and as a summons to activity and repentance prior to the arrival of Christ to inaugurate that kingdom upon this earth. Jesus, you see, did not promise heaven to anybody. He said the very opposite. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth or the land, as it really should be translated, they're going to inherit the land. Now, notice how some modern translations have really obscured the simplicity of that verse. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, they're going to have the land as their possession, Matthew 5, verse 5. One modern version says they're going to have what God has promised. But that is a loss of information. That's to turn clarity into confusion. What has God promised, you're left asking, with that modern paraphrased version. Well, the text of the Greek and the words of Jesus are entirely clear. Blessed are the meek. Their reward is to have possession of the land. Now, you may ask, why was Jesus so impressed with this possession of the land as the promised reward for Christians? Well, quite simply, because Jesus knew that he was the promised seed based on the promise made to Abraham. Do you realize that Christianity is built 
on the solid rock foundation of prior revelation, that's to say the 77% of our Bible, the Hebrew Bible, that's the basis on which the gospel is built. Galatians 3 and verse 8 is a key text. The gospel was preached in advance to Abraham, so said the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 verse 8. It makes perfect sense then that we as Christians investigating the gospel to be sure that we've grasped the saving gospel, we'd want to know what it was that was promised and preached to Abraham in advance as the gospel. In Romans 15 and verse 8, Paul said that Jesus came to confirm the promises made to the forefathers. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul spoke of God's gospel, that's to say the gospel that comes from God himself, and it's a gospel which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And it was a gospel, therefore, that Paul was able to preach out of the Old Testament, out of that 77% of our Bible, the Old Testament. In fact, in Acts 28 and verse 23, we find Paul in a typical episode preaching the gospel. I read this in verse 23 of Acts 28. When the Jews had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. And in the next verse we read of the reaction of Paul's audience. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Do you see that believing there is equivalent to being persuaded about the things being spoken? And the things being spoken was a testimony to the kingdom of God and an effort to persuade them about Jesus. Acts 28, verse 23. But the kingdom of God was the principal item on the agenda of apostolic gospel preaching. Is that true today? Do you hear clear explanations of the kingdom of God in modern offers of the gospel? Or have we lost an essential element in the Christian gospel as it was preached in New Testament days? There seems to be today a considerable confusion about what the gospel actually is. Some say that it means that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. Well, certainly those are elements in the gospel, but that's not what Jesus preached as the gospel. He preached the kingdom of God long before he said a word about his death and resurrection. And the preaching of the gospel which Jesus carried out was based, as Paul said, on the Old Testament, on the gospel being preached ahead of time to Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 8. It's with all urgency, therefore, that we direct your studies to the gospel as it was preached to the father of the faithful, as Paul calls him in Romans 4, verse 11. That's to say, Abraham. What was it that God promised to Abraham, which forms the foundation of the Christian message of salvation, the gospel, the gospel indeed about the kingdom of God? Well, what was promised to Abraham? To find answers to those questions, we need to turn back to Genesis, that beginning book of the Bible which really lays the foundation of the whole drama which God is working out on the stage of human history. And it's a drama which invites you to be part of it. You are summoned by the gospel of the kingdom to take part in the greatest venture ever offered to human beings. 
You're invited, in fact, to become a co-regent with Jesus in the future kingdom. That's to say, you're invited to rule with him in the future kingdom. The gospel, in fact, is an invitation to the kingdom of God to be established in the future. You must repent now, turn to a new way of thinking, a brand new lifestyle, and orientate yourself to a new horizon, the horizon of the kingdom of God coming on the earth when Jesus returns. Christianity, then, is a training ground now for rulership in the messianic kingdom with Christ in the future. That theme is found on page after page of your Bible, but it begins with the promise made to Abraham. In Genesis 12, we read that the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country and your relatives and your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. In other words, you'll be famous. And you'll be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so we read that Abraham obeyed. He went forth just as the Lord had spoken to him. And he was 75 years old when this intervention came from God. This intervention in the life of Abraham, which separated him from his natural kinship, from the ties of nation, of family, and circle of friends. And these, of course, are the main influences which come to bear in a person's life. And we see here immediately the cost which one must pay in order to be a Christian. Jesus said he didn't bring peace with his message. I didn't come to bring peace, he said. I came to bring conflict. It will be a fact, Jesus said, that mother will be divided against daughter, father against son, and so on. The cost of discipleship is very high. Unless you're willing to give up everything, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. And so it is that the father of the faithful, Abraham, was asked by God to give up those things which are nearest and dearest to our hearts our family, our country, our circle of friends, but were to go in faith, just as Abraham did, to a land which God is showing us. Abraham obeyed. That's the essence of Christian discipleship. Follow me, said Jesus, and the apostles left their family business, their fishing business. They left their father to supervise the business on his own, and they went in faith with Jesus on a journey of faith which led them actually to martyrdom, but which will bring them eventually, via resurrection when Jesus returns, into the kingdom of God to be established on the earth. The apostles indeed and all the faithful of all the ages will be in that great company of believers to be raised from the sleep of death when Jesus returns in order that they may inherit the land, inherit the kingdom of God on the earth. It was to the land that God pointed Abraham as he set out on the journey of faith. Go to the land which I will show you. Now that promise of the land is repeated constantly during the life of Abraham. Here's the promise again in chapter 12, verse 7. And the Lord, that's to say the one God of Israel, appeared to Abraham and said, To your seed I will give this land. Did you notice that the land here is to be given not only to Abraham personally, but to his descendants, to his seed, to his issue? His distinguished descendants are going to be the recipients of the land promise. There's a contractual basis for this land promise, 
because God made it the subject of an oath-bound covenant. In chapter 13 and verse 14, Abraham once again learns that he's to be the beneficiary of this gift of the land. Genesis 13 and verse 14 reads as follows, And the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. There we have the essence of the promise made to Abraham. It's a promise of the gift of land to be made to Abraham personally and to his descendants, and it's the land of Canaan that is being granted to Abraham here by promise. In chapter 15 and verse 1 we read again that after these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. A divine revelation, in fact, was made to Abraham to confirm these promises once again. Do not fear, Abraham, I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. We're talking here in terms of the ultimate reward which is to come to Abraham in the resurrection. Your reward is going to be very great. It will, in fact, be nothing less than life forever, immortality, and rulership with Christ in the future kingdom. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to join us again in our next session as we pursue the great drama of salvation as given in the story of Abraham and its development throughout the rest of Scripture. Write to us for our free book on the kingdom or for a tape of the broadcast you've been listening to and join us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.